Koinonia Christian Fellowship, communion with God and with fellow Christians. Koinonia, an association of people who share common beliefs and activities. This is Koinonia. This is Community. I am Tom Brown. And your host today, Mark Buckley. Well, welcome to Koinonia. I'm Mark Buckley from Living Streams. I'm glad that you're with us today. I've got a special friend in the studio, Bob Blader. Bob is a man of God who's had an incredibly fruitful ministry in this valley for many years. We're going to get to know him up close and personal and get some insights into everything from financial management to forgiveness to uh, to sex and marriage. He does seminars on all kinds of really interesting topics that I think you're going to be uh, interested in. Bob, thanks so much for being here today. Well, it's a pleasure to be with you always, my brother. Give us an overview of your life. Where'd you, where were you born, grew up, and, and how'd you get into ministry? I, I was born in Bridgeport, Connecticut, but, I, but my family moved here when I was six months. So as far as I'm concerned, I'm a native. Mm-hmm. Grew up in the west part of the valley. Um, I have an older brother who lives in Texas. Uh, my parents have long since passed away. I um, went to school in the West Side, and I'm a graduate of Grand Canyon, which was then college, now university, mm-hmm. the degree in religion. So they upgraded your degree, hopefully. They, well, not really, no, no. So anyway, um, I actually came to the Lord on my 15th birthday. This is real interesting. Mm-hmm. My uh, on, on September 17th is my physical birthday. I won't tell you how old I am, but it'll be quite a bit older than 15. And well, happy I re- birthday. Thank you, my brother. And I uh, received the Lord on my 15th birthday, so I always think of myself of having two mm-hmm. birthdays at the same time. So I've walked with the Lord for decades. Um, at some point, I came to the place where I felt a call to ministry because originally I wanted to be a high school math teacher. Mm-hmm. Interestingly enough, that's a subject I've taught probably more than anything is the area of, of finances or math. And mm-hmm. so uh, anyway, I got called into the ministry, and uh, but went through some rough roads there for, for a while, uh, which I don't know how much time we'll get into that. But eventually when I got into full-time ministry, um, I think when you met me, I was at Word of Grace at mm-hmm. the time under Gary Kinnaman, spent uh, a good part of a decade or more there. Tell uh, us what happened to the church and when you and Gary were working together it was a glorious time for the most part my friend oh my gosh it was one of those it was just one of those god things the church just exploded in numbers people were getting saved left and right and i went overnight from working at salt river project to being what was called the senior associate pastor at the time Mm -hmm. i was there we had approximately 13 full-time pastors and i was for lack of a better way of understanding at the second in command. So when Gary was gone, I was in charge, but I had to manage 18 areas and got to preach every so often and did Bible studies and marriage and uh, uh, doing weddings and funerals. And And it was a booming time. Oh my gosh, Mark, it was a wonderful time. It was a wonderful time. I I look back at almost all those years with great fondness. Um, So you mentioned getting into ministry initially was a struggle. And when I've, what I've realized is that for most of us, getting into ministry has a lot of battles in it. There, there's a price to be paid. It's not just like, oh, I think I'll go get a degree and get, go into ministry. And it's, it's not that simple at all, is it? No. In fact, there was a season. I've done so many things, I forget the, all of them. But there was a season when Fuller Seminary was for about two years asking some of their almost graduates to contact a real pastor, a guy really doing it, and to sit and spend some time in this consortium with this uh, with the pastor who's actually working at it. And so one of my favorite questions I would ask, in fact, it would be my first question I'd ask everybody, 
why are you wanting to get into full-time ministry? And if I heard anything, Mark, like, oh, it's just so sweet and just so wonderful, I thought this person's not <laughs> dealing with they reality. They don't have a clue. They don't, they have, don't a clue. have a clue like that. And I would want them to be passionate, but I would also want them to be realistic because I, I have come to the conclusion if you're not called to it, this would not be a profession to get into. Right, right. Somebody uh, who was very wise said that if you can do anything else and really enjoy it, stick with it. That's because, right. Uh, this is a special calling, and we're going to talk more about uh, Bob's ministry, his calling, and how it can be a practical help to you as well. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with more of Koinonia. Good afternoon, beloved Tom Brown on Fate Talk 1360 KPXQ. Shonda Pierce and the Happily Laughter After Tour with special guest Karen Williams is coming to the Valley Highlands Church Thursday, October 13th in Scottsdale, Arizona. You can get your tickets right now at faithtalk1360.com. That's right. Go online, faithtalk1360.com, and click on the big pink Shonda Pierce Happily Laughter After Tour banner ad, and you can even get group rate tickets there as well. Now back to Koinonia. Here's Mark Buckley. Welcome back to Koinonia. I'm Mark Buckley, and my guest is Bob Blader. Bob, what kind of church did you get started with uh, when you were first saved and and what kind of ministry assignments did you accept way back in the day? I got saved, as I said earlier, on my 15th birthday at a little Southern Baptist church in Glendale. Mm-hmm. And I loved that church because my parents weren't active in their, in faith. And so um, it became like my family, a church of maybe 100 people. And I loved it. I spent seven years there. And uh, as I said earlier, I thought I was going to go into being a high school math teacher, but I had a rather dramatic calling. Uh, It was in my sophomore year at Glendale Community College. The first week, I can remember it vividly. I was walking down the pathway, and I I can't quite say it was a vision, but as dramatically as I felt, I felt God say to me, I want you to preach. And what was so interesting, Mark, was when I was starting my sophomore year at Glendale Community, I was in my third semester of algebra, which I love math. And when I walked in my class that day, I hated it. Like overnight, I hated it. Like I was in the wrong place doing the wrong thing. I quit all the classes I was going to quit that class. I started to schedule new classes for the next year because I was going to transfer from Glendale Community to ASU. But then I'd felt I was supposed to go to Grand Canyon. And then so I changed everything. It was like just like like being born again, born again. You know? Wow. And yeah. so as a result of that, that's when I started into ministry. And the, some of the first things I started to do was I would start to teach and preach because that pastor of the Little Baptist Church asked me at the age of 17 to actually preach, which mm-hmm. to this day, I don't know why. Maybe he yeah. just saw something in me. And so I eventually started to do a lot of research. I was hungry mm-hmm. to teach. I always felt teaching was who I was. And so I started to research mainly on finances initially, hence which led to one of the seminars that I mm-hmm. do. And so uh, it was finances. And as you know, it's just like any teacher, mm-hmm. it begins to evolve where you're studying yeah. so many subjects that you want to do so many things. And and you have to be willing to start small. And the, the beautiful thing about the kingdom of God is... There's the pastor there way back in the day with you, and he has 100 people in this church, and, and he might have struggled with a sense of significance of what am I accomplishing, and 
well, I got nothing going here. And, but he had something going there. He had a young disciple who was going to be formed by his ministry, and he gave opportunities. Sometimes the greatest thing you can do for somebody is just open a door for them, give them an opportunity, and don't think you have to do all the ministry yourself. Well, I'm forever grateful for whatever reason he decided to have me do it, because I never indicated uh, the first time he asked me to speak that I wanted to do this. And it was so neat when, you know, in the Baptist church, you're always prone to give altar calls. And when I did, some people came forward and I was literally stunned because I didn't, I thought, who am I for this to happen? And some of the older adults afterwards said, well, you ought to consider this full time. And that's that was a few months before I had this dramatic yeah. experience with God because I thought, and I and here was my prayer. It was really funny as a young man. I said, well, God, I want to be a high school math teacher, but if you want me to do something else, you let me know. And that was it. One shot prayer. And months later, I had this experience wow. at Glendale Community. That's amazing. So um, you've done lots of different seminars over the years. And since the first one you mentioned is finances, let's talk for a minute about how believers get themselves stuck financially, and what kind of counsel you give somebody to help them get on a sound financial footing? When you see the research, Mark, that I have studied over the years, sadly to say this, that Christians unfortunately mirror the world pretty closely in their behaviors and values and Mm -hmm. beliefs. And trust me, that's not good news. So when I talk about finances and Christians think when I give statistics, oh, it's those people out there. It's not those people, Mark. It's us. We're the ones like everybody else that have debt issues, that don't give regularly, uh, that um, maybe even spend it on things that we shouldn't be spending on, inappropriate things. But the but I've been writing for six years now at the, at the Republican AZ Central, a column on saving money called Stretch Your Dollar. And when I meet with people regularly, and I still do regularly one-on-one, I find that the level of misunderstanding about money, the lack of a budget, the lack of tithing and giving is just is just horrific. And so I'm always out there trying to tell people there's a better way, that there's a way that you can that you can first of all give God what's his, which I believe is the tithe, set up a budget, which I think is the second most important thing, mm-hmm. because a budget is a tool that even though you can teach that to an atheist, to a Christian, I say, the budget is the single most powerful tool designed to manage God's money. Mm-hmm. It is God's stewardship plan. And then we talk about savings, and then we talk about a plan to get out of debt. And interesting enough, if people have messed up their lives for 20 or 30 years, it doesn't take that long to get out of it. Right. I, I tell people they can get out of almost all non-mortgage debt in four years or less if they're committed to a plan. And when they meet with me and I set it up, they're just astounded at how quickly it can happen. Now, doesn't happen overnight, and I think God's the type of God that we serve, that he doesn't want us to get out of trouble real quickly unless, unless we learn our lessons. Yeah. One of the things that um, people need to understand is just like if you, if you eat a lot of junk food and you're overweight and then you start to exercise and, and cut out junk, after a little while, you're going to start to feel better, right? Absolutely. You're going to start to feel healthy. You're going to start to enjoy life more. You're going to actually look forward to going to the gym or going for a hike or taking a jog or however you're going to work out. Um, the same is true financially, isn't it? When people have had all kinds of sloppy habits and they've got debt and they've got all this pressure from the debt, and then they start to actually live by a budget 
in a little while, they start to feel better. It, do, it doesn't feel bad. It's it called freedom. Yeah. It's called freedom. One of the greatest gratifying things, and you know this as a pastor teacher, it's, I mean, it's all about God, but if you're mm-hmm. the conduit which God has used, it's gratifying when somebody comes up to you and says, what you shared with me changed my life. Just, the, just last week, Maria and I, my wife and I were coming out of a store, and a lady said, are you Bob Blader? And I said, yes. Yeah. She said, and, and for no, and just right off the bat, first thing she says, not hi, how are you? She says, well, 25 years ago, I took your seminar and I've, uh, it changed my life as far as the, uh, our, our family's life, as far as the budget, been taught our kids the budget and everything else. I just wanted to say thank you. That's, that's all. And we had to go, but it was, it that's was wonderful. so, it's blessed fulfilling. me so much. Yeah. yeah. It's so fulfilling to that, but you're right. People don't realize the joy about this. In fact, as we speak, the editor at the paper that I work for called me up out of the blue and said, hey, I want to ask you to do an assignment for me. Can you write a lengthy column? And this column is not about any particular thing the way you save money, but write it as a first-person narrative as to why you enjoy thrifty living and how joyful it can be. So I said to the editor, who's not, I don't believe, is a believer, I said, well, you know I'm a pastor and a committed Christian. I said, a lot of that has to do with my Christian faith. Is that okay to put all that in? And she said, absolutely. So as you and I are talking right now, my wife, who's actually my my, my real editor, she edits mm-hmm. my column before we send it in. She's looking at it right now. And hopefully in the next week to two weeks, it's going to be published in the paper in AZ Central as a lead story and hopefully give credit to God for all that he's helped me with in this area. Oh, that's neat. Congratulations on that. So the... The, the message we want to give you is if you get on a budget, you're not going to be controlled. What you are going to do is you're going to establish a budget with your financial advisor that's going to give you some guidance that's ultimately going to set you free. Absolutely. And again, I am 110% convinced that you can never manage money as effectively unless you have a budget. There are a lot of people that try to do a good job of at least paying their bills and, 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 uh, and trying to give and what have you. But without a good, effective written plan, I know this, Mark, because I've worked with thousands of people, you can never be as effective until you see it all down in black and white. And, and it acts like your own personal accountant, a good budget. Now, it has to be one that you can understand and it's not complicated right. or hard. Otherwise, you'll never... You'll never follow it, but uh, I I love doing it. I just I, I like the I'm like the guy in the batter's box ready to to, to hit the ball. It's like when people want to ask me questions in this area, as I come alive because I feel like this is one of the reasons God put me on planet Earth to help. You know, there there's some real simple things that I've noticed that um, if you work in a place where there's a microwave. You don't have to go out to lunch every day. You can bring leftovers from home. You know what I mean? You can. I always like Christina to cook up a little more. Or I cook up a little extra at night because I want to be able to bring food to work the next day. I don't want to go out and spend 10 bucks every day on, on a lunch. It's healthier if I eat leftovers, and it's cheaper. Um, I don't have to go get a Starbucks every day. I mean, people waste money in so many different ways. And then if they're in debt and they're putting stuff on a credit card that costs, um, you know, an interest payment or a late payment, you'd, you'd have to actually look at that Starbucks and say, no, it isn't going to be $4 for that cup of coffee. By the time you pay interest on this credit card or a late fee, that could be an $8 cup of coffee. Would you buy that cup of coffee for $8? 
Different ways to look at it. that's one another way. If they're doing buying this Starbucks, using that example, and say they do it three times a week, I say let's not just look at each time you spend it. Let's let's look how much it's costing you over a year. That's when people go fifteen hundred dollars. I'm spending that much. Yes, like that. And it's amazing when you can look at things. One of the newer things I've done in my financially free seminars is I have people early on write down what is their single most important financial goal they have today. Mm-hmm. And the reason I do that because I'm convinced no matter what it is, no matter literally what it is, that the budget is one of the key things that's going to help them to achieve that. Because you want people to be motivated, intrinsically motivated to want to be able to do something that's going to change their lives. And so whether it's talking like that, whether it's showing them over a year how much to spend on Starbucks, whether it's saying, what do you want to do so badly? I, I, I know couples, for example, that desperately younger couples that the wife doesn't want to work anymore, wants to stay home and be with the kids. And the number one reason why she can't do it is because of their financial situation. So mm-hmm. I sit down with them. I say, look, Let's come up with a plan how to do it because you're already motivated to want to do that. But we've got to look at the numbers and there's ways you can do it if you're committed to the plan. Amen and amen. Another thing that uh, I think is really critical is uh, time management. Um, If people make good use of their time, they make good use of their money. Before you know it, their lives become super productive. My guest is Bob Blader. We're going to be talking to him about some of the seminars that he leads, and especially um, some of the ones that have had the biggest impact in people's lives. Stay tuned. I'm Mark Buckley from Living Streams. We're going to be right back after these messages. Everyone you meet today could use a lift and a smile from you is not the complete answer, but it is a start and you probably should start with the mirror. Tom Brown and your afternoon journey. You're listening to Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ, where hope is always on and delighted that you're joining us for Koinonia this afternoon. Pastor Mark Buckley is your host. Welcome back to Koinonia. I'm Mark Buckley from Living Streams. If you're looking for a good church in the Phoenix area, we're at the corner of Central and Glendale. We meet at 9, 15, and 11 every Sunday morning. You can look us up on the web at livingstreams.org or just drop on by. Uh, My guest is Bob Blader, and Bob has got seminars that are outstanding. He's got sermons he preaches in different places. Bob, you gave me a list of different sermons that you do, and one of which you noted is the most requested or has had one of the biggest impacts. Talk to us about that. Well, the short version is the sermon. I also have a day-long seminar called Life Lessons from Joseph, Persevering and Learning to Love It. My favorite Old Testament character, Mark, is Joseph in the book Mm -hmm. of Genesis. 
And what I discovered years ago, this is one of those things that revolutionized the way I think about trials and and understanding why God wants us to go through trials and the purpose. It's one of those messages that I actually do a full-scale drawing. It shows you from the start of Joseph getting his dreams from God at age 17 till he becomes, as I call it, vice pharaoh Mm -hmm. at age 30. That 13-year odyssey, What that's the, the sermon part of it, what he has to go through to get there. And the question always comes up, well, why would God... God give him these dreams and yet seemingly take him on a route that like he is a totally forgotten slave in one of the worst hell holes mm-hmm. that you could be at in the ancient world, the dungeon. And so you learn that God never forgets where you're at. And that's an amazing story, especially with you, if we're familiar with mm-hmm. the story when the chief cupbearer and the baker get thrown in the prison. And Joseph, to, to our amazement, is still talking about God. I'm always thinking, would I still be hanging out with God, thinking about God after several years in a place like that, especially since I realize the reason I'm there is no, through no fault of my own. So he's there interpreting the dreams. We know the story. The baker, he said, is going to be hung in three days. The chief cupbearer be restored to his office. And then Joseph says to the cupbearer, hey, don't forget me. I'm here under the wrong circumstances. One of the saddest phrases in all the Bible was when the cupbearer goes to be restored by Pharaoh. It says the cupbearer did not remember Joseph. And then the Bible says two more years have passed. And I always like as a teacher to put have people put themselves in Joseph's spot. And I say, you got to figure out after a few weeks, the cavalry's not coming. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no miracle. I mean, nothing's happening. You got to figure this is your lot for the rest of your life. And then one day, out of the blue, from your perspective, the doors open and somebody says, hey, Joseph, Pharaoh wants to see you. Because Pharaoh's, we know, has these yeah. dreams that nobody can interpret. And suddenly, two years later, the cupbearer remember. remembers, right? It's a great story. So when Joseph gets there and he interprets the dreams, then he throws it a little practical advice to Pharaoh. He says, listen, Pharaoh, you're going to have the seven years of plenty, seven years of famine. Make sure that you hire somebody that can oversee the plenty, that we can extract 20% like mm-hmm. a social security, like a savings plan, yeah. and do that. And Pharaoh says, well, why not you be the guy? So overnight, a forgotten slave becomes vice pharaoh. And the reason I call him vice pharaoh, because pharaoh, even though he's in charge, says, look, I'm going to give you unusual powers, Joseph. Nobody can even enter the land without your say-so. So this man goes overnight. But what's even part two to the story, if I can take a whole story in two minutes, is that that's at age 30. The nice thing about the story of Joseph is we've mm-hmm. got, we've got uh, measurements of years all the way through it. Right. Well, eventually, during the famine years, the brothers show up. Of course, they don't recognize Joseph because he looks like an Egyptian, but he recognizes them, and all this stuff happens. And, and you know, finally, when he reveals himself to his brothers, this is nine years in now from this point. So now Joseph is 39, so it's 22 years from the time of the dreams. And the dreams said that the brothers would bow down to him, and that's right. what they do. But that's still not the end of the story because another 17 years passes. His dad dies after he's reconciled with his dad. And now the brothers think, oh, Joseph was going to kill us. Yeah, it's all over. He's now 56. So this is almost 40 years later. And then Joseph says to the brothers, I'm not only not going to kill you, I'm going to take care of you. And then he says one of the most famous scriptures of all time, God, you meant it for evil, which you did 40 years ago, but God meant it for good that Joseph could look back, Mark, 40 years into this situation and recognize the hand of God, what happened to him with no bitterness, with no anger, with no regrets. 
that's the amazing story of Joseph, and that's why I love to preach this message. And then I invite people to come forward and get prayed for if they're going through trials or, or pain or things like that to recognize that your God has not forgotten you. He really does work it all together for good, doesn't he? He does, my He's friend. got a big plan. And, and what's beautiful about Joseph is that Joseph trusted him. He stayed faithful to God in spite of the fact that he did not know how the end was going to come about. He didn't know, and neither do we. That's that's our story, too. Right. We, we all get in circumstances over our head. We have a dream that we think is going to come out one way. It turns out to be almost like a nightmare. And uh, will we stay faithful? One of the key lessons, and this is what I put up in the diagram when I draw it out, if God gives you a dream, God is obligating himself to fulfill that, mm-hmm. assuming that we're willing to trust him along the path. If we don't, all bets can be off. But yeah. if he has invested himself in us that way by saying, this is what's going to happen to you, Mark Buckley, to you, Bob Later, mark, mark my words, it will happen, even if it takes decades later in the case of Joseph. Amen and amen. So I'll give you uh, uh, my little interpretation of the cupbearer and the baker. Because as you know, they're both thrown into prison. Joseph has the dream. One of them's going to get delivered and one of them is going to be hung. And that's exactly what happened. But the question is, what do you think happened that made the Pharaoh execute one of them and deliver one of them? And I'll give you the answer because you don't know, unless you've got, you got an idea? I'm not sure because I've never gone there. And if I like this, I'm going to steal it. Okay, okay you're, wel- right. you're welcome to steal it. But I don't want any of our listeners to steal it without <laughs> giving me credit. Um, here, here's what I think happened. I think that um, the reason he threw them both into prison was because the Pharaoh had had a big party. And after the Pharaoh's party, the next day, a whole bunch of people were sick. They had food poisoning. And the Pharaoh was totally embarrassed and he wanted vengeance. He knew something had gone wrong. He wasn't sure exactly what, but he knew it was either the food or the drink. Well, it turns out when they interviewed a bunch of the guests that some of the guests didn't get sick and some of them had been very sick. The ones who didn't get sick had actually eaten before they showed up at the party. All they had was a couple of glasses of wine before they went home. And the ones who actually ate and drank the wine, they were the ones with the food poisoning. Therefore, it had to be in the food and not in the drink. So the cupbearer is released and the baker goes to his early demise. And I will give you credit for that. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, preachers love to speculate and uh, that's part of of the joy. (laughs) Um, So, Bob, um, you've experienced part of what Joseph has experienced in life where there's been times when it looked like your life took a turn and uh, where was God? He wasn't, uh, it wasn't supposed to go like this. Talk to us about a personal season of testing and how you had to persevere before you began to get the light of day again. Well, like anything, we don't have time for all of it, but I'll give you quick, I'll, I'll expand on one, but I'll give you quick vignettes. I, as a Christian, was married and divorced uh, many years ago. Maria, who I'm married to now for 33 years, I always say my second and final wife, mm-hmm. uh, has been a great blessing. But uh, my first marriage was horrific. And going through the divorce, I felt that my ministry and life were over. But God is the God of restoration. He was able to uh, to restore me through uh, through that situation. Then, 
even being a part of a wonderful ministry like Word of Grace, there was a season I was going through a personal spiritual renewal, and I felt God was telling me to leave. And I kept saying to the Lord, well, yeah, this is my job, too. I'll leave mm-hmm. when you provide a job. Because right. I said, if you just leave and— You don't you, have a job. You don't have a job. I said, those that's flaky people, and I'm not going to yeah. be one of those. <laughs> yeah. But God, for two years, Mark, made it so hard on me that uh, on this, at the end of the second year, four different times, he said the phrase to me, just do it. By then, my wife said, don't worry about it. Just just quit. And so I did. But I struggled. But here's the beauty. God sustained us emotionally. He sustained us financially. I never had to borrow a penny and everything at all. And so I felt that it was still a wonderful time. So I've been through job loss, you might say. Mm-hmm. I've been through a divorce. And about 10 years ago, I had a surprise triple bypass surgery. I was on the verge of dying. And that's a whole nother wonderful story about mm-hmm. how God prepared me for that by giving me a scripture. I call it a scripture, a dog, and uh, exercise. And I was out exercising my dog, and he was running me ragged, and I was feeling weird. And he, God gave me a scripture, which every year, by the way, I asked the Lord to give me a scripture for mm-hmm. the next year, like a like a theme scripture. Right, right. So with Psalm 32, I said, I cried out to you, Lord, and you restored my health. And I'm thinking, yeah. I'm not sick. So we fast forward. I, I feel this weird feeling. My uh, GP sends me to a cardiologist. He does a test. He says, I think something's wrong. You might have a blockage. So I'm in there getting supposedly going to have a stent put in. And about 15 minutes into the procedure, he says, you have four major blockages. You're on the verge of a catastrophic heart attack. So I had triple bypass surgery. So I've been through health things and and, uh, financial and lost job and everything else. And so, and I've had moments, we all do. I'm not going to sit here and say, gosh, the whole time I was just praising God and doing it right. I was upset at God. At times I wouldn't speak to him with it. But at some point I realized this is stupid. This is dumb. It's not God's fault. And I really came back to him. And I've seen now through decades of walking with him, his faithfulness to me. Amen and amen. Yeah, because none of us are guiltless. I mean, none of we're, we're all living with mercy, right? Yes. It's it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Amen to that. And that's friend. why He tells us not to judge people, because um, if, if He puts His microscope on us, we're all guilty. Yes. Um, so, when how we respond when our hearts are broken, how we respond when we're really disappointed or disillusioned, really is what God uses to shape our destiny. And your, your example of Joseph is there's a guy who had to feel completely alone, completely forsaken, very disappointed, and very disillusioned, but he stayed faithful. And by the grace of God, you've stayed faithful too, Bob Blader, and that's why you've been so fruitful. Thank you. My guest is does a lot of seminars, and we're going to change topics when we come back. We're going to talk a little bit about marriage and about intimacy. We're going to talk a little bit about... Um, how you can make the most of the relationships God's given you. Stay tuned. I'm Mark Buckley from Living Streams. We'll be right back after these messages. Everyone you meet today could use a lift and a smile from you is not the complete answer, but it is a start and you probably should start with the mirror. 
Tom Brown and your afternoon journey. You're listening to Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ, where hope is always on and delighted that you're joining us for Koinonia this afternoon. Pastor Mark Buckley is your host. I am Tom Brown. Welcome back to Koinonia. I'm Mark Buckley from Living Streams, and my guest is Bob Blader. Bob, um, not every church is willing to talk about some of the challenging subjects like intimacy and marriage, and you do a whole seminar on the topic. How did you get into it, and what are a couple of things that might uh, help our listeners? Back in the days when I was on staff at Word of Grace, we had we were very class-driven as far as like having Sunday classes during the three morning services. We had a marriage class, and I was one. I was the pastor over the leaders of that class. So we were talking one day about what topics hadn't we had presented, and they said, "Well, sex wasn't one we had presented." So I said, "Okay, I'll tackle that." Mm-hmm. So I began to read uh, overwhelmingly Christian books. Uh, the joke was after 1,500 pages of Christian books, I was all sexed out. And so I, uh, <laughs> so I read this, I, put, I studied the scriptures on it, put it together, and this began the genesis of, which I'll share in a moment, was the uh, Sexual Fulfillment Marriage Weekend. But in those days, I did it as four consecutive weeks in the marriage class. Here's an interesting aside, and I love this. The pastor of counseling at the time at our church said, you know, even if I don't know from the bulletin that you're teaching the marriage and the marriage class on sex, he says, I always know when you do it. And I said, how's that? He says, because my caseload goes up. And I says, is that bad? He says, oh, no, that's good because people are wanting to deal with their stuff. Yeah. And so, um, so we used to have like 100, 150 people in the class just with that. Well, in time, I realized that when you do a seminar like this and there's a long break of four weeks, that it's better if you compact it. So yeah. about in the early 2000, 2001 year, I created a weekend seminar. I do it every year around the 1st mm-hmm. of June here at a local uh, hotel. And um, uh, basically, we talk about several sessions. We talk about um, facts about sexuality, and we, we compare it to what even secular research says that Christians, Christian married people are enjoying the best sex of anybody out there, statistically. Yeah. Now, not every Christian married couple right. is, obviously, but statistically. And so I come, come at it both from information there, information from the scriptures, and the part of what I teach people, and this is the key to this, is that they go back to their rooms with a series of questions that they have to write answers to and then dialogue with each other. And there's a whole methodology I teach them how they have to dialogue so they really hear each other. And many times people have said, we've resolved 20 to 25-year issues in our marriage because of this process. What what are some of the rules in terms of communication on those sensitive topics? Okay, well, I've designed something called the issue couch. Now, now the concept isn't unique to me, but... But the phraseology is, so let's say it's you and your wife, Christina, and so you're sitting at you, and anybody has an issue, and it doesn't have to be sex. It could be any kind of major issue. You well, say any major issue is going to interfere with sex if it's not resolved. Well, absolutely, because right? especially for women, it's all interconnected. So mm-hmm. you, so say your wife says, "I want to call an issue couch session." What that means is you go to a special place in your house with no distractions. Let's say it's the couch, mm-hmm. and you face each other, and each of you, and you hold like a soft object. I always say it's a soft, not a hard object. Yeah because you want to throw it at each other. And who's ever got the object starts the discussion by saying, I have this issue and here's what it is. Mm -hmm. And particularly with issues of like sexuality, that can be very personal. And I always tell people, your response initially once the person is done speaking is to take that soft object, 
hear what they have to say, and parrot back what they are saying. So what I hear you saying, sweetheart, is, or I believe this is what I understand you're saying, and you give them back the soft object, and that first person that's that's raised the issue says, yep, that's exactly what I'm saying. Or if they say no, then they restate it. And you keep doing this back and forth until the issue is clearly heard. It could be as simple as, I'm upset about situation X. Mm-hmm. The other party says, oh, so you're upset about situation X. Gosh, I realize that. I'm sorry. It's my fault. Would you forgive me? Kiss, kiss, and you go on. It could last two minutes or it could go on for an hour, mm-hmm. depending on what it is. And you can't talk like this in normal conversation because you'd wear yourself out. That's mm-hmm. why it's only designed for specific issues. So with sexuality in particular, with marital intimacy, you want to sit down and really talk through what's important to you, what's what bothers you? That's some of the questions that I have people talk about in, in those private times after the teaching. And it's amazing how open people can get once they're given permission to do it, once they have a format to do it, and a way to not hurt or judge each other, but to really listen to each other. Yeah. What I feel is um, critical for good sex in a marriage is, uh, as Christina would say, she'll say to me, sex for me starts in the kitchen. It starts with, do you give me a hug when you see me in first thing in the morning? Are you uh, willing to look me in the eye when we're having breakfast together for a few minutes? Are you, are you willing to clean up the junk in the bedroom that you threw around the night before? Or is it going to be just all divorced? And, and you can't really divorce sexuality from all of life. No. It, it, you really can't, can't. You know, they've done enough studies on it, and there's wonderful books out there, uh, you know, like the old years ago, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, who are the ones, the, my favorite book of all the ones I've read today is called Red Hot Monogamy mm-hmm. by the Farrells. And they also did one where um, men are um, like waffles, women are like spaghetti. Mm-hmm. Because women intertwine things together. They can't divorce sex from everything else. Guys, as a general rule, we're more compartmentalized. Mm -hmm. We could sit here and we could be stressed about something else, but if we come home and we think the wife looks beautiful enough, we're we're ready to go at it. And so we have to each learn how to speak each other's language. We throw in the love languages as an additional bonus so people Mm -hmm. get that, something to what you were just suggesting about making sure that you're meeting your spouse's other needs as well, particularly for women. They want to make sure their emotional needs are met, uh, that you're really communicating and talking with them, really listening to them, because otherwise they're going to feel used if you're not doing that. That's right. And one of the things I want to um, suggest to our listeners too, Bob, and you see if you believe this, that if there is a lack of sexual intimacy in a marriage, it is a serious sign. Um, even though you may be very patient and you may be willing to endure, and sometimes you have to be patient and you have to endure. But if if one spouse or the other really does not want to make love, there's a sign that something's going on. And that's something, you got to find out what that something is because sooner or later, it's going to have a manifestation that's not going to be good. It doesn't end happily ever after if you just ignore that part of your relationship. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I always tell singles in particular, the only unique thing to marriage, biblically speaking, that you can do that you're not allowed to do uh, is have sexual relations. If you think about it, if you're a single person, you can have 
um, hugs with friends and family. You can communicate with friends. You can pray with people. You can be in social, uh, you know, you can have a, a roommate and have social interaction. But the only thing that's unique to marriage, and I think Paul preaches this in 1 Corinthians 7, is a sexual relationship. In fact, I use that scripture right in the beginning to talk about, and this is paraphrased, Paul basically says to the married couple, if you're not doing it, you're violating them. Right. Now, again, we don't want to just stop there and just say, oh, well, let's just, you know, demand one party, demand to the other to do it. It's more complex, as you know, Mm -hmm. than that. But the starting point and my favorite mantra that I say throughout the whole seminar is sex is a good thing. And I have couples repeat that sex is a good thing, but it's only good in the context of monogamous heterosexual marriage. But sex is a good thing. And so if you're right, if things aren't going well, those are, those are signs of not only that area, but other areas as well. And people need to get help. Amen and amen. You mentioned a book that you think is a good book. Give, give us a book. Uh, mention that book again and give us even another one that, that some of our readers might or our listeners might want to read. Well, again, since I don't have the list right here, the bibliography, but the one that's my favorite because I sell it is Red Hot Monogamy by Bill and Pam Farrell. I also, there's a secondary book that I promote at the seminar. It's written by a group of people, and it's called How to Confidently Talk to Your Children About Sex. Mm -hmm. And the beauty of that is that we don't want to perpetuate bad habits through the generations. That this book literally scripts from the time that kids can can communicate till they're 18, how parents should talk to them about sexuality. So those are my two favorites. I mean, there's many out there. Mm -hmm. I'm finding the more I'm reading, there's not a whole lot of new ways of sharing it, but those... Those, to me, just share it the best, both for the personal relationship and how to talk to your children about it as well. That sounds excellent. I'm going to have you come to Living Streams and do a talk like that, if you don't mind. Well, I've also done it in, uh, you know, at uh, Wonderful Mercy as sermons, but, you know, we had to to make sure we had to... What is it? Qualify it to make sure the parents knew that they shouldn't <laughs> right, leave their kids right. in there. So, um, well, we have a we have a couples dinner, which would be a perfect oh, format. Well, I'd that. be honored to do that, my um, brother. So. Um, Bob, people need sexual healing as well, right? I mean, nowadays, so many people have had experiences prior to their marriage that actually adversely affect them. I I think the reason that the Lord commands us to say celibate before marriage is he wants us to develop the spiritual relationship, the emotional relationship, learn how to communicate better, learn how to have fun together. And and the, the pressure that is created by celibacy forces us to develop those other aspects of the relationship. And if the if there's premature sexual activity, then the roots don't go deep in the other areas. And the manifestation is uh, what, what I tell couples before they get married is you're either going to be celibate before marriage or after, you know, beca- and what happens is uh, sexuality dies in a marriage because of a lack of respect because the the foundation of respect wasn't established prior to marriage. You want to hear something that I've just learned recently? Again, we won't have time to, to develop this, but I always tell people about the danger of having premarital sex is that there's an illusion, strong illusion in Proverbs about when, when Solomon's saying to his son, don't have sex with somebody who's not your wife because you will be, or a prostitute, because the two of you will become one. And I always thought, well, why is that an issue? Call it a weirdest analogy you'll ever hear, but if you remember the old Star Trek series when Spock used to do the mind meld, and like he'd become so intimate with that creature he was putting his hands on, that it was like there was a transference mm-hmm. of souls with each other. Well, somebody at my last seminar gave me a website, and i just begun to research it, where it says that when you have sexual relations with anybody, could mm-hmm. your spouse, but especially if it's not your spouse, 
that there's there's literally a DNA transference, particularly for the woman inside her body with whatever that person has released inside them that actually can stay with them forever. Oh, right, right. And I mean, you go, wow, when you hear that. So there is a danger of that you actually become one with that person that you don't want to become one with. I heard a, a whole uh, NPR uh, podcast on microbes and just how touching somebody is a transfer of microbes, which can be very beneficial or very detrimental. Yes. And I think sexuality is a transfer uh, outside of marriage that's very detrimental. Within marriage, it's a strengthening of the bond of unity and the covenant that God's given us. Amen, my friend. My guest is Bob Blader. He's a man of wisdom and insight. We're going to finish up this interview when we come back right after these messages. Welcome back to Koinonia, Bob. This has been really fun. You've got such depth of wisdom and insight. Some of our listeners might want to get involved in one of your seminars. You have them periodically throughout the year. Um, they might have a question for you. How would Do you have a website you can give us an address for and an email? Somebody could contact you. I have two websites. The first one is bobblader.com, B-O-B-B-L-A-Y-T-E-R.com. That lists the five major seminars, the financial, the marital intimacy, the contemplative prayer retreats, the Joseph one, and one for singles. There, So there's more information on that. Then I have a separate one which expands on the financial, since I do that more than others, called financiallyfreeseminars.com, financiallyfreeseminars.com. And then they can also contact me through two ways. They can call me if they'd like, 480 239 Four eight four three, or my or they can uh, email me at bobblader at cox Bob, thanks so much. You're a blessing. Thank you, Mark. Um, Bob is a, a treasure of wisdom and insight, and I hope you take advantage of him. Look up his website, Bob Blader, B-L-A-Y-T-E-R dot com. I'm Mark Buckley at Living Streams, and if you ever want to contact us, you can go on the web at livingstreams.org, or you can call, contact me and Mark buckleyministries.com or you can drop by one of our services at Living Streams. We're at Central and Glendale, 915 and 11 and uh, we've got a lot of stuff going on for all kinds of ages. Um, I want to just draw in conclusion this theme that Bob had that, that God is never through watching you, working in your life, and using you. He puts a dream in your heart. He is going to bring it to pass. If you're willing to persevere, if you're willing to cooperate and trust, all things really will work together for the good. Nobody can betray you and throw off God's plan and purposes. All they can do is help promote you and promote God's plans and purposes in your life. Bob, thanks for being with us today. It was my pleasure, Mark, so much. And thank you for listening. We'd appreciate your prayer if you think of us. And may God's blessing be upon you today. Mm -hmm.